0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to a Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and part of the game day radio crew alongside Mark Vandermeer and our next guest, Andre Ware. always love when Trey joins us. We have so much to talk about. We spent Saturday night watching college games and talking college football, pro football, and we started our conversation about Tank Dell Going out of the game with a concussion, but I happen to see a kind of funny moment. Hopefully, Tank's going to be okay because we need him back. But here's Mark, Andre, and I talking about the Tank situation right off the bat.
1: We hope he's okay. Had to leave the game with a concussion, but man, was that a tremendous catch at the time as the Texans executed in a two-minute situation again at the end of a half. Three consecutive weeks, they do that. They do it at the end of the game on offense, getting the touchdown for the go-ahead score, but... Unable to hang on and lose 21 to 19. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you. Andre joins us now, Johnny. Did you see, did you see, did one of you guys see Tank after he makes the catch? So he falls
0: awkwardly. His knee kind of got jammed into the turf, and that's why he hit his head. I I thought where I where I was, I thought he, I could see the knee. I thought it was something with his legs. Oh. But he kind of hits his knee awkwardly, and that kind of projected him forward to hit his head. So, as a couple of the training staff went out to talk to him, you could see him going like you get the universal single for signal for a catch. I got he's my like catch. To, I got the catch. He's going off because yeah. he's got a concussion. <laughs> and he's
1: telling them, "I paid the catch." Yeah, yeah. He's, he's one of a kind, man. He is Jeez. one of a kind. Dre, good morning. Yeah, that, that was it, a, it, a rough moment.
2: Yeah. Good morning, guys. It is, and and uh, unfortunate that was the last play we got a chance to see Tank yep. Dell on because, you know, he means a lot to this offense in a lot of ways. And I made this the uh, the comment yesterday that he's being used sort of in the uh, Debo Samuel role that mm. they use with the 49ers. And so, you know, they, they've lined him up in the backfield. They gave him a handoff yesterday. They gave him a speed sweep. They've used him in motion and given giving him end rounds. They they're throwing something. That's the same thing they do in the offense with Debo. He's just not that size, and so and there's a reason they call the guy Debo. So it it uh, he'll he'll be fine. Hopefully he'll bounce back and be able to play this week. But he means a lot to this offense in terms of ele- it gives it some electricity. It gives it some big play ability. I mean, flash plays every time he touches it. We're all holding our breaths thinking he's getting ready to go the distance. That's the talent and what he brings to this offense.
1: Yeah, and, Dre, am I right in saying even when he doesn't get the ball, the attention he commands, yeah. if you're the defense, yeah. you're thinking, we cannot let three beat us, and then Nico can capitalize, other guys as well. What if they have to function without him this weekend, though? Uh, Mechie played more yesterday, had a couple of catches. Really, you're seeing Dalton Schultz come around big time now as he led the team in receptions and yards, seven for 65 with the touchdown. Thoughts on operating without Dell, possibly?
2: Well, then you just have to let New Orleans know that there is another threat to go deep, and somebody's has to do it, whether it's Nico, whether it's Robert Woods, whether it's uh, Matty, You know, Somebody's got a threat, and then you just got to throw one down, throw one to him uh, and see if, if he comes down with it, he does. But the threat, or you need to do it just to, to put the threat or the thought in the minds of the Saints that there is a deep threat, because uh, every time Tank...
1: We lost Dre. Are we still in the air? Oh, we're still in the air, but Dre just, uh, he cut out there for a moment. It happens.
0: Sometimes the the raccoons or the chipmunks are up on the wires, and they just just start gnawing on things. Is that what it is? It could be. Or is it a poltergeist, Johnny? That's what I need to know. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about aliens and ghosts lately. It's been kind of freaking me out. I'm really? not really a
1: big believer in aliens. No, I'm not um, either. I mean, I believe but, they exist. I just don't think they're coming here. Yeah, 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 exactly. I don't know why they
0: would want to come to Earth right now. I mean, inflation's no. pretty high. Yeah. Um, so that I think that would drive well, them Well, maybe away, they want to buy
1: property. Uh, maybe they have cash.
0: Yeah, but, but there's a lot of places where they probably want to buy property, and they can't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know what their credit rating is. I
1: mean, that's not going to help me sure, either. So, sure. I mean, these are all things. That I'm we have sorry, Mister Alien, account. you don't have a credit score with yes. us. So, the, can't you cannot do it. get a loan from ABC Bank. All right, we'll get Dre back happy. in a moment here, but yeah, what? All right, we got him. We got him. Okay. Trey, we resume the conversation. Talk to me about the defense here because you hold Bajon Robinson and Tyler Algier, you hold the running attack for the Falcons below 100 yards, you hold them below three yards per carry, but Desmond Ritter has a career day, 329 yards and a touchdown. Thoughts on the D?
2: Yeah, and he had it thrown to tight ends, and that's usually what happens because you get so committed to stop in the run that linebackers are shooting gaps and and playing fast, coming forward and playing downhill as the term is used. And then tight ends are slipping behind you and play action is happening. And so all of a sudden the the three or four talented tight end, they've got, they really do have four solid tight ends and uh, it's kind of crazy how they utilize them or how they have acquired them, but they have them, but that's what happens. You get so, so, uh, Thought caught up and stopping the stopping the run that tight ends are leaking out are running you know corner routes everything behind you that you're always in a chase position uh from the linebacker spot and, and that's where the, his career day came from pretty much it was throwing the tight ends
0: dre uh i don't think we talked too much about cj stroud obviously the last two weeks he's been phenomenal i think he's been phenomenal all season i think we've seen that but in five games now uh, we don't have a total book on on CJ, but what have you seen from CJ, and what growth have you seen that you really like, and what are some of the things that you'd like to see him maybe get a little better at as we move into the NFC South portion of the schedule?
2: No, I, I like everything about him. I mean, I really do. <clears throat> That's not just dodging your question, but it's everything. It's the the anticipation of throws. It's you know getting the team in the right play. It's uh what place ball placement uh timing accuracy uh when to run when to throw on the run it's you know all of it when to just, uh, even just throwing the ball away coming back on second and third down so mm. all of it is has played a big part of uh of how i feel about him i think he's playing like he's in his third year rather than in his first year that example I've always used that, you know, you, I'll, I'll talk about it forever, is that there are a lot of guys that are running plays. This guy is playing quarterback, and there is a huge difference when uh, if, when you've played that spot and you know what I'm talking about. I mean, there are guys just running exactly what the coach is calling. CJ's playing. He's seeing it. He's moving, moving defenders with his eyes in zone coverage, throwing behind the guy that he just moved. With accuracy, with timing—that's that's third, that's third, third year stuff.
1: Well, they have sixth game stuff coming up on Sunday as the Saints come calling. And look, folks, need you there again? I know Pittsburgh. We had the what
2: mm-hmm.
1: Ring of Honor ceremony oh, and all they're that. They're coming. They You've are coming. You've got the Saints coming in. They've got fans they are, everywhere. They
2: will come. They will come marching in, baby. Yeah,
1: and, and you better be ready. So uh, they handled the Pittsburgh situation really well. Got to handle this situation well. Andre, the Saints getting warm now as they just blew the doors off New England on the road, and now they come here. Thoughts?
2: They got their Swiss Army knife back, Alvin Kamara. Kamara. Mm-hmm. He is back, baby. And you want to talk about can hurt you in a hurry? Uh, and, and the thing about it is you look at him, Hey, look at his stature. You don't think he's a he's a strong back. Ooh. He is extremely strong. This guy there. drags trucks uh, in the off season with chains attached to him. That's part of his ah. training. So I mean, he has worked on his strength. He is he is a his he may be he may have the most. I don't know how I want to say this. How I want to frame this up, but his running style is just pretty to watch. The high knees. The I thought Eric Dickerson was kind of the same way, but this one he's a little shorter, so it's even. It looks even more. It looks a little better, but he he's got speed, he's got power, he's got quickness. He catches it out of the backfield. He's made himself a three-down back, and he is a scary, scary man.
0: Yeah. Uh, what you guys don't pull trucks in the off season? You don't uh, do that for your training,
2: Tonka. No,
1: nope. oh. the Tonka variety that my kid plays with. Yes. All right, I was I thinking can put about it in doing gear it. And
2: but... Push it back. That's about <laughs> all I can do.
1: <laughs> that, yeah, I'm with you on that. Okay, this is for both
0: y'all. I just happened to see this pop up on social media. Uh, your boy Hot Take Orlovsky had this to say. Agree or disagree? Mm-hmm. And I quote, if Mac Jones was in San Francisco, he would be playing like Brock Purdy.
2: Ooh. Dre, you believe that to be true? I believe about 50% of that, I believe he'd be playing better.
1: Yeah, yeah. better in that system.
2: Yeah, I, I really do. I, I don't know that he'd be playing exactly like Bart Purdy, but there's some accuracy to that. I, I can exactly see where, where Orlovsky's coming from with that comment. He is not that far off as we think he is, uh, though he'll say some stuff, I think, for shock. Um, there is, there's some accuracy to a lot of what Dan says. And, and uh, I, 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 I would agree with that because he's getting better coaching. That's crazy. Right. But it, the yeah. head coach is not his position coach or an offensive background. Yeah. He's been around a long time. Yeah. He knows how to stop offenses, but can he call it? Can he teach it to a young quarterback? He thought last year that he could do it with two guys that were they the two of them didn't have offensive backgrounds and it almost ruined uh Mac, Mac Jones the year before he still had uh was the the head coach for the Raiders Josh McDaniel Josh McDaniels. with with Mac and and so that's when they everybody thought oh he's going to be just fine he's he's going to be a, he's, he'll be okay as a quarterback and now you just you need a foundation to come back to you need the same guy from year to year calling plays, that gives you a chance to be a successful guy in this league. Uh, As as great a start as C.J. Stroud has had, remove Bobby Slowick next year, and he will struggle. I guarantee it. That's what's going on with Mac Jones.
1: Mm. Well, look, that offense, and I'm grateful for all the wins that Mm O'Brien got here. There's no question about it. But I but the offense was never a juggernaut, was nope. never clicking the way they wanted it to, right? Because it's a complicated offense and the man who runs it better than anybody happens to be the greatest quarterback who ever lived. So if you have him, that offense is fine. If yep. you don't have him, you might struggle a bit, and they're struggling big time right now and personnel I'm sure comes into play as well. That's right. Like, it's a weird it's situation. Like Van Halen
0: without David Lee Roth. No, yeah, Hagar, was fine. This, many, Man Hagar times,
2: was fine. And Hagar was fine. Okay. How many, okay. many times did they switch offensive coordinators when Tom Brady was there? Twice, maybe? A couple twice. of times. Yeah, the same guy twice. calling plays the entire time he was there for the for the most part. Yeah, then when they point. did make the switch, um he, that guy coming in had to learn that system and how to call mm. that system. So they didn't yeah. make Tom learn his offense. He had to learn mm. Tom's offense by that time. So it matters. I mean, Montana, he played in the West Coast offense the entire time. I've said this forever and ever and ever. There's only one quarterback that achieved greatness that didn't play in the same system his entire career. He played in multiple, and that was Warren Moon.
1: Mm. He could do anything, huh? All right. You know, I wish Warren had those five years back in Canada. Even though he had a lot of success in Canada, yep. and this is not to denigrate the CFL.
2: I mean, but man, everybody t- else is in the same system. Name it, same system. Boomer Sison, pretty much same system. Uh, Dan Marino, same system his whole career. Uh, Dan Fouts, same same system. Terry oh, yeah. Bradshaw. Oh, yeah. I can go on Montana. Even when he went to Kansas City, mm-hmm. if he went from one system to the same the, the same system. Peyton Manning. Yeah, Peyton, Peyton Manning. Yeah, Peyton Manning. took his on on. system to death. the only one.
1: <clears throat> yeah, interesting. All right, well, Dre, talk to me about the Patriots, though, because this is fascinating to me about Belichick. You're talking about one of the greatest who ever did it. He's chasing J- Don Shula. I think he's 17, 18 away. I know this is going to come up maybe every week, what's going to happen with him? He still has all those wins yeah. to pass the guy who is more than any other, and I'm starting to wonder if it's going to happen. Thoughts?
2: Yeah, I'm wondering if it's going to happen, and if uh, it might take him 17 years to get to that 17 <laughs> at the rate that they're going, so <laughs> I don't know that he's got that kind of time before they run him out of New England, but it, it, uh, it's it's that that's it, it's it's a it, it's a sad thing to see it. it it's fallen. Rome is falling fast. And, uh, and if you want to use that analogy, it's it's crazy. It just shows you how the importance of what a quarterback really means to an or an entire organization, how he uplifts things. And, and then <clears throat> the beauty of the success in New England is that Brady took less money so that they could pay everyone else. Mm. that's that's what held it all together that's what built the dynasty because if he's taking money like Mahomes, he's taking you're starting to see the dents in that thing already if he's taking dents like green bay aaron Rodgers when he's in green bay that's why he only wants one super bowl in green bay that's that that kind of uh sacrifice that that uh that can't go that can't fly under the radar
0: Y'all let's talk about quarterbacks. It makes me think about the other side of the ball. And it's actually just popped up. Falcons have just posted sure. something about the podcast from, from yesterday. And one of the things that Taryn Wack is who is the reporter, she she made a note and it kind of it kinda of irks me a little bit. First sack free game for Ritter. Like of all the things that we've talked about today. Didn't get to them. The one thing we have not talked about today. Dre is the inability to really get to Desmond Ritter Desmond really kind of had the time that he wanted and with the crew of tight ends and receivers he's got he's gonna find somebody open and obviously Arthur Smith could scheme them open you know the pass rush wasn't tremendous yesterday in fact you could argue with no sacks on Ritter after teams had been sacking him every single game you know the pass rush probably needs to take a little bit of the blame for yesterday as well your thoughts
2: I agree 100% with you. Uh, no pass rush, no pressure, uh, no d- different looks, pressure packages, things of that sort. And you yeah, He's a young quarterback. He's only in, a, what, his a second, second year in this league. So you, I thought the game plan would be crowd the line of scrimmage, let's take away the running game and let De- Desmond Ritter beat us. Because before this week, I don't know that I could have named one receiver on the squad of the Atlanta Falcons. So with that being said, I'm going after the quarterback. Uh, and in my, <clears throat> in my way of, of stopping the run, I'm going to have bodies around the line of scrimmage so I can bring guys from different angles that he's not going to see. That wasn't the case. I mean, they were able to stop it, but it, was, it wasn't because of pressure forcing him to hurry up. And that's what you want to do to a young guy. You want to hurry him up where he feels that speed all game long. He felt comfortable, slowed down, uh, took his time, made great throws, scanned the field from right to left at times, read high and low. I mean, he he was under no pressure. And I think when, they, when you go back and you look at this, that might be one of the things that factored into exactly why. When they went into like a soft cover too, when Atlanta had the ball coming down, I'm like, this isn't the guy that you want to do this against because – he has won a lot of football games. Uh he hadn't seen a lot of or been in a lot of situations that he's uncomfortable in. And so he was very much comfortable in his skin in that situation with 145 left. And you're gonna play soft coverage against him. Now uh, he is a he's a mature dude that that can uh that can flourish under that type of pressure. But he needed to be pressured with mm. guys coming at him.
1: Has yet to lose a home game in his college or pro career. How about weird, that? Weird. Thirty-one and 0. 5 and zero at home I, I, as a I Falcon. Bet,
2: I would, be, I would tend to bet. I'll bet that stretches all the way down to his high school too.
1: Yeah, likely. he, hadn't, he had right.
2: lost a bunch. He had lost many games. Man, right? dude's a winner.
1: ESPN Bowl projections, Tax Act Texas Bowl, which is December twenty seventh, right here at NRG Stadium. All right, two of their experts. One says Kansas State versus the Aggies. The other says BYU versus LSU. I'll take either one of those matchups here because they're both attractive. But if about to give and...
2: me Texas A and M and Texas. Give me that. Uh,
1: one. You know they're not going to do that. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way the school. Give me that one. Do I mean that. That I you think that it. would
2: sell out here. It's a precursor oh, yeah. to both teams going into the SEC next year or being We'd in the SEC next. We'd year. We'd love it. I would I love having that game. I'm dead serious about that.
1: But if A and M ends up here. Is the head coach still here? Well, you know what's freezing <laughs> over before that happens. Now, not that
0: with the A&M, because yeah. if, if A&M is – and I hate to say it this way, but if A&M is playing in a non-New Year's Day six game, a Texas ball, et cetera, that doesn't mean – that doesn't bode well for Jimbo Fisher. And then when you screw up the way that they called the end of the game with clock management,
1: mm. if I were an Aggie, oh, I was mad. Yeah, you were mad as an Aggie, but you're not an Aggie. I'm not an Aggie. But, Trey, rough weekend for A&M and UT. UT losing to OU and the Aggies losing to Alabama at home. There's no shame in losing to Alabama, but that was a gettable game for them as well. And Milrow started to play really well. That was a career-best passing game for him.
2: Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit on Saturday evening, uh, about Milrow and how just leave the guy alone, let him play and let him learn and let him develop uh, there was no need to do what they did, removing him from the lineup against South Florida, who they thought they would just run with these other two guys, and it just didn't happen. And as as karma would have it, they had to go back to the young man. And so kudos to him for being there, keeping his head on straight, and being ready when, when they did decide to come back to him. Um, didn't surprise me that <clears throat> they were able to beat A&M A&M's without their – starter at quarterback and and so they they're just going to have to navigate those waters uh with Texas that that was a surprise. I actually thought Texas would win that game because they've had the tougher schedule. They've had a a, uh, a a a tough tough test early in the season already having to go to Tuscaloosa. So, it was a surprise to me that that Oklahoma was able to knock them off. But hey, that's that's college football that uh shows you what uh, how how fast you can, uh, you can turn the corner in college football these days with free agency uh, in terms of the ter- uh, transfer portal. You can get mm-hmm. good in a hurry. Look at Florida State. Look at what Oklahoma's doing. Uh, it, it's, there's some teams out there that, that Georgia better buckle up and be ready for once, once playoff time comes.
0: Florida State's the top three team in the country at worst, and I would say there's seven top players in all transfers. Even Jordan yeah, Travis absolutely. is a transfer. The two, Every, two top receivers
2: are transfers. And they're
0: studs. Wouldn't mind one of them being here. Dre, at that point. They had is, they had
2: one already, Johnny, in, uh, yeah. the, the big kid, 14. I Johnny can't remember Wilson, his yeah. name. And Johnny I Wilson. thought he was the first rounder last year. And mm-hmm. then they added two kids, Coleman, I think, from Michigan State,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: another big tight end to go along with them. Uh, yeah. it, it's, 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 it's sick with Florida State's. Done. Everybody was talking about is uh, is Miami back? Is Texas back? Both teams lost in games I thought they should have won. Certainly Miami, Mark, losing to Georgia oh, Tech. Everybody but, blames uh, me for this. But the the <laughs> team the the team that's back is Florida State. Yep. They have Drake, a legitimate if- Heisman quarterback, Heisman candidate at quarterback, and they have got a sick offense and a fast, nasty defense.
1: All right, so you're the quarterback for the Miami Hurricanes, and they send in a handoff when you know that you just can take a knee and end the game. How do you feel? What do you do? Do you look to the sideline like what? What do you do in that situation? Here's
2: what I do. Here's what I do in that situation. If I felt like, if I felt like, I had earned the trust of every coach on the staff, especially the head coach. Uh, You know, at some point. A player knows this, especially a quarterback, where you can say, hey, I got it. I got it. And they go with your gut feeling. I'd gotten to Mm -hmm. that point with Coach Pardee and Coach Jenkins where they trusted if I said, hey, I got it, that I had the play for that situation. But you have to earn that from a coaching staff. What I would have done in that situation was trot it over to the sideline and said, hey, Coach, why don't we just take a knee right here? Mm -hmm. And then it might trigger him to say, you know what? You're right. Let's just go ahead and take a knee. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they, did that's they have timeouts how I left. This. I, that's exactly how I would have handled that situation. You could you also can't call timeout. You can't go over and say, we need to take a knee right here. What are you doing? You're going <laughs> yeah, to put him on edge and he'll, hey, get your ass out of the game. But if you go over and just in a suggestive way, just, hey, coach, why don't we take a knee right here? We get the game over with and maybe look at the clock and, and ha- have that conversation with him. And then he, it eases him into saying, you know what? You're right. Let's take the knee. And
3: the that's whole thing is wife.
2: watched. Miami wins the game. But uh, the whole operation went went up in flames.
0: That's how my wife gets me to do things. What? She says it the exact same way Dre just did. She's like, do you, you think maybe we should mow the yard today? And I'm like, you know, Johnny, that's a great it's a suggestion. suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> exactly she didn't tell me to do it she just suggested it and i was like you know it's like a good suggestion
2: i think i'll do it hey johnny i i've probably told this story on the air before but i've got one for when i would throw interception knucklehead interceptions and i come to the sideline and, and jenkins was looking at me, giving me that look and what, what, what are you doing i just thought i could make that play coach what <laughs> yeah. comeback does he have for that right you know what i'm no, saying like, he yeah, has no comeback for that one <laughs> i thought i could make that play coach and if you have made plays before, yeah. then he has no comeback for that.
0: Yeah, he has to trust it. Yeah, that's good. That is, I'm a, I'm learning that. One. What do you have Friday night, Dre?
2: I'm headed up to Memphis, Memphis, Tulane, and so that was, that was going to be a good one. We've got two good American Conference teams that are going to uh, lock horns, and I can't wait to see it. I always enjoy these two, so uh, can't wait to get there and get some good barbecue once I settle in at Rendezvous. Beale Street is that where it is? Is yes, it on sir, Beale? Yes, sir. You you know it. Oh yeah, I've I've done a,
1: a college game there. I did the Conference USA championship there at that arena once, and the hotel across the street they have the NBA floor. I stayed on the NBA floor. It was just luck. Yeah, oh, wow. the, the ceilings are higher. They oh. built a floor yeah, for NBA right. teams. Yeah, that's I've to been in, in that
2: hotel. I've actually stayed there as well. Yeah, and so I'm six only two because in the of shower. That comment you made about it yeah. being the NBA. Hotel for taller, 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 yeah, yeah. taller ceilings.
1: Yeah. And, and the hilarious. shower is taller. So I'm in the shower and I'm six, too. But the shower head Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> could shower yeah. in this thing. Yeah. I couldn't even touch That's
2: it. Exactly right.
1: Wild. The NBA floor. Anyway, Dre, great to have you on <laughs> and good luck Friday night. Can't wait till Sunday when the Saints come marching in.
2: Yes, indeed. And they will be here in full force. You think we saw a lot of uh, Pittsburgh Steeler? Uh, jerseys, and and whatever else swag this past week, wait till Sunday.
0: That was Andre Ware's ominous voice. Wait till Sunday. Yeah, hopefully that's going to be a fun one. October 15th, it'll be the 35th anniversary on Sunday of one of the greatest days in sports. 1988, October 15th, Catholics versus convicts. Miami-Notre Dame play one of the great college games of all time, 31-30 Notre Dame get the win. And that night... Kirk Gibson hit a walk-off home run against the A's, one of the greatest home runs ever in Major League Baseball history. That all happened the same day in 1988. I was years old. A lot of you out there weren't even a glint in your parents' eye. So that was a long time ago. But 35th anniversary of that date on Sunday, and hopefully our game isn't at that level. Hopefully the Texans are taking care of business early and often against the Saints, uh, and it doesn't turn into that kind of day. Um, like it was on Sunday against the Falcons. Coming up next, let's talk to our buddy N.D. Kalu. We had a lot to share with N.D., including his thoughts about the secondary. Yeah, N.D.'s a guy in the trenches, man, but he knows the secondary as well as anybody. We'll talk about that and what they did against the Falcons next, right here on Texans All Access. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the Monday edition of Texans All Access. A little over 24 hours from ugly defeat. Well, all, all defeats are ugly, let's be honest. This one... Was ugly because you had a 19-18 lead with a minute 50-ish left in the game. Couldn't hold it. Young-Way Koo knocked home a field goal to beat the Texans 21-19 in the dirty, dirty yesterday. And it was tough. Uh, But I appreciate you being here with me on this Monday evening as we try to move on. But we got to hit some of the things from Sunday first. Including talking with our guy, N.D. Kalu, As we talked and wanted to know, what did he think? Not In the trenches where he is a master, he knows it all. But what about the secondary?
1: This one stung a lot. How did you see it? Because they did a good job against the run, but not so much through the air via the defense. What do you think?
3: You know, it has stung because it's so hard to win in the NFL, and this is a game that you just feel like they let slip through their fingers. And all the cliches hold true this game when you say, hey, you got to score touchdowns and not field goals, or you have to play four quarters. I mean, they give up 14 points in the fourth quarter, and before that, you're like, man, they're really dominating this game. They're playing good ball, but they didn't play four full quarters.
0: Yeah, that's, no doubt. Indy, I know we talk a lot about the, the trenches, but – down Derek Stingley down Shaq Griffin yesterday in the second half in particular the secondary struggled with I don't know playing it's almost like they had their eyes on Desmond Ritter the whole time not really finding receivers until they got the ball then obviously they popped popped one out at one point what's going to think of the pass defense, especially in the second half
3: you know that's what I noticed and obviously Petrie made some big plays but Towards the end of the game, you're waiting for those guys. If you have a Stingley, if you have a Shaq Griffin in there, and I don't even want to get specific and saying, hey, you have to cover this route a little bit better, but you need one of those big playmakers to make those plays that puts the nail in the coffin, and that's what you're not seeing. And I think that will come. I think that will come as they get a little bit more comfortable uh, with Miko's system or with their defensive system, know when they can take chances. Like Jesse Bates, I don't know if you – we talked about Jesse Bates before the game. Yep. And then there was one play where it ended up being a PBU, but he broke on a route and was like, okay, that's the ball hawk that we've seen. Then it ended up hurting him against uh Dalton Schultz. So, but you want those guys that uh, have enough confidence in the system and themselves to make those plays and make the big plays when it really counts. And that's one thing I did not see from the DPs out of Petrie, uh, but late in the game.
1: And the lost in all this, and maybe it's not that lost, but CJ Stroud has the historic start still going. Now it's five games, no picks first quarterback to do this. When you look at the minimum number of passing attempts without an interception, it's just amazing to see the history he's making. Now it was an 89 rating or whatever, but he did lead them to the go ahead score late in the game. And I thought I saw so many good things from Stroud yesterday. Again, I think it's just tremendous to see the start. He is off to and, encouraging things are going to happen. They just have to continue to build around him and what he does. Well, your thoughts on what you're seeing so far.
3: I mean, you know it, Mark. As bad as I felt after that game, because I know that's one that they they could have and should have had, would have, could have, should have. It doesn't matter. They, you know, Atlanta did just enough to win. But the the silver lining is you have a quarterback. And it's been a long time for the Houston Texans to say they've had the quarterback, I'm not saying it's easy, Nick Casario, but it's easier to build around a very good quarterback than it is to find a good quarterback. So I think that's why many fans are like, man, you know what? That's tough, tough loss. But you still feel good because you're saying, okay, what can we put around this quarterback instead of where can we find a quarterback? What draft are we going to have to wait to until we could potentially get that game-changing quarterback? C.J. Stroud has proven to be that guy. So with every game that he plays like this, even with the losses, you're saying to yourself you know what I see the I see the the light at the end of the tunnel because now you can just start building around them
0: all right Andy let's get to the sixty four million dollar question how do we fix the run game what do you think it will take to get the run game really going you know Damien had some chunk runs yesterday but then there were you know minus five minus six you know getting stuffed on an outside zone etc what in your opinion do you think is going to help solve the run game issues, mystery, whatever it is.
3: You know what, John? I, I know I'm supposed to give you this great answer. And <laughs> if I could, i will probably be making millions coaching instead of talking about it. But I, I've i had the same question, and I'm watching, and there are some plays where I'm like, oh, they did a nice job opening up the hole for Damian Pierce or, oh, they did a nice job here. Then there are times where it's like, man, they just lose the bat at the line of scrimmage. And I would just say consistency because – you see that these guys can do it, but it's just not being done consistent. It's consistently enough. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting choked up talking about the offensive line. It's okay, I, heard me I so get bad, a bunch of uh, them. <laughs> yes, sorry about that, but uh, I think consistency is the only answer because you see that they could physically do it. You just don't see it consistently enough.
0: Yeah, I'm glad I'm. I let you answer that because I get that question a million times too, and I'm like, I'm gonna ask Andy. D. I'm gonna take Andy's answer. And I think he's, <laughs> I, I, the, here's the thing, Andy. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right because there's some plays you're like, yo, look at that block, boy, that was good. Look at this run play. I mean, it all fits together, mm. and it's a it's a eight nine yard banger. You're like, all right, here we go. Let's get in, let's get on a run here, and then all of a sudden it's, oh, this play got stuffed from minus four. And I'm like, and I th- I think Andy's. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a consistency issue.
1: Andy, I got one for you about the psychology of this because that always interests me. You have a team that has so many young players and. We talk about first-time coach, first-time offensive coordinator, all that stuff, and all the young players. And I was impressed how well they did against the Steelers after how well they did against the Jaguars, that they didn't soak it up and they could, as Spencer Tillman would say, run with a full cup of success, right? (laughs) Uh, They did that. They did that well against the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers last week. Well, here they are yesterday. I'm not saying that this was – uh, an emotional letdown performance. I mean, it's emotionally tough when you lose any time, but I'm saying going in that they overlooked the Falcons, but it's hard to get up every week the way you were for the Steelers in this league. What's the key to that? What's the key to sustained success? Cuz I know the emotions do come into play, but there's got to be about it's got to be about technique and doing things the right way and I think that the coach has some teaching moments to deliver to the team this week.
3: No, you're absolutely right. And this is going to be a true test. And you, you were right. You try to correct yourself. But, no, that's an emotional loss. When, when you're winning and you win the turnover battle, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I, I know they had two turn, uh, 2-0. Is that what you mm-hmm. said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you win the turnover battle 2-0, you're supposed to win that game. So it's definitely an emotional letdown. And now you're about to play a red-hot New Orleans Saints team this is going to be a true test to see what this team, what the character, what they're made of. And I'm not saying if they lose, then they're dogs and they're not worth rooting for, but are they going to be able to put that behind them and be ready and be prepared to take on a red-hot team that's walking around with the swag of just beating the New England Patriots, you know, pitching a shutout. So, this week, it's up to the coaches to really make sure that they stay energetic, they stay positive. And it's not just playing the music during practice. It's not just patting guys on the back, but showing them where they made the where they made the mistakes, where they can get better and then really practicing that and making sure they're going into that game with a confidence that even though we let one slip against the Atlanta Falcons, we're still a good football team.
0: Uh and yeah, at that point, going into a bye week or I should say into a bye week. The game before a bye, I'm always intrigued by a player's mentality going into that particular game because you know you've got the bye week coming up. You can get out of dodge. It's kind of been on, you know, you know, you have the the preseason bye and then you have six hard weeks, but then you've got this bye week. You know, I'm traveling. I'm going on. How difficult is it to stay focused in that final week? Or is it the opposite? Like, hey, I'm gonna think about the bye later, but I know I can go all out. My body can recover. How is it going into the week right before the bye for players and kind of their mentality? Is it different for other guys? Is it, how do you how it, how was it for you in the past historically the week before a bye?
3: I love that question because it depends on your head coach and it depends on the the team and what they typically do going into a bye week. When I was in Philadelphia, it was known, even though Andy, Coach Reed, Andy Reed wouldn't tell us until after the game what the uh, off-season, excuse me, the bye week schedule would be. But we knew if we won, we were going to get an extra three days off. And guys would literally be in the huddle during the game like, hey, we got to win this game. Like, <laughs> it would be almost as intense as a playoff game because, We knew if we won that game, you know, a lot of guys were going to get on that plane and head home. Most of the guys on the Eagles were from the south, so they wanted to get back to Texas, Florida. But, I mean, it it was a a rally cry in the huddle. Like, hey, we win this game. We get an extra three days. We're going straight to the airport. We're going home. So, when you know that's the case, I mean, you would be shocked at how locked in guys are during the week, the practice leading up to the game, and in the game.
1: Andy, Derek Carr comes into NRG Stadium, and I always wonder about this. I'm not saying this applies to him, because I really don't. He played quarterback for the Clements Rangers for, what was it, only one year, Johnny, or something like uh, that? Yeah. Yeah. But still, yeah. he was here, I and obviously was a little kid with the Texans in the early days when David Carr was here and all that. And I'm not going to call it a revenge game, but do revenge games exist if a player or two has something, an ax to grind against a former organization Does the rest of the team feed off that if it's the right player sometimes? Like yesterday when you have the Jets going to Denver and Nathaniel Hackett, the OC. I mean, everybody read about that, knew about that. Does that exist? Is that a real motivating factor for a squad?
3: Absolutely. And, you know, we we stay politically correct on this show for obvious reasons. But, look, whether we're going to admit it or not, the cars are walking around thinking to themselves, yeah, you know what, my brother got a raw deal here in Houston. Let me go down there and show them what the Carr family can do. There's absolutely going to be that thought, even though they'll never say it. So there is that revenge. revenge. And when he's talking to his offensive lineman, when he's talking to his teammate and saying, man, this is what they did to my brother. Man, that guy got sacked more times than any other quarterback in the history of the NFL. Come help me revenge my brother's death. So, no, there's (laughs) absolutely something like that that's going to be said. And if they like Derek Carr. You know, that's when you figure out Mm. how much your team Mm. loves the star quarterback, loves the the leaders of the team. They're definitely going to rally. We had special team players that were leaders on the team. But when we would go back to the team that cut them, we would all play, you know, at a different level just to help them get that victory and give them the game ball after the game.
0: Yeah, you guys wanted Nathaniel Hackett to win. That's what you wanted. Um, Andy. (laughs) This is in college, but I want to ask from just a player's mentality, because I was thinking about this from both sides on Sunday morning when I saw this because I had gone to bed. I was way too tired. Georgia Tech comes up with a miracle win against Miami, and it should have never happened because all Miami had to do was take a knee and not even flirt with the fumble of death. But they did, and it cost them the game. And you saw players on the sideline, what the bleep were we doing? What the bleep were we doing? As a player, when you have a game that's just ripped from you for let's just say it coaching decisions, what does that do for what does it do for the players on the team the next week and the subsequent weeks that hey you could still be you could be undefeated in top fifteen in the country, and now you're five and one and you're you know fighting to stay in ACC championship level play because of a decision that was out of your hands. And the coaches messed it up. How does that, as a player, does that play in the locker room? What does that do to a team when you have a loss like that?
3: You start second-guessing your, your coaches. You know, when you're a player, especially when you're on the other side of the ball and you're on the sideline watching your offensive work and watching uh, that side of the ball make that mistake, and you're thinking to yourself, why didn't we just nail it? And you, you have to look mm-hmm. at the coaches, the guy who's throwing the plays in, and say, do they even understand what's going on in the game? And you start to question them. It, you know, when it's all said and done, you really start to question your coaches. But it's up to the coaches, the assistant coaches, to say, you know what, we screwed up, but we should have never been in a position where one bad mistake by the coaches allowed a Georgia Tech team to beat Miami.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was – that was tough to watch for me i gotta tell i know you guys. i knew it was. That, that I knew was it was as
0: soon as i mentioned miami you just, i just saw this mm. out of the corner of my eyes mm. oh man and
1: i felt bad for my friends in the broadcast booth and everybody involved in that uh, college organization yep. anyway so andy thoughts on the saints here they come they just blew out new england so they're gonna be fat and happy nothing to see here come on in let us get the victory on sunday what do you think of this one
3: you hope that they come in the same way Miami came in after they put up 70. Uh, I can't remember who they lost to the Bills. week after, but at, thank you. After they, they put up 70, then they lost the next week. It's like, okay, things are back to normal. I think the Saints are good. I don't know if they're 31-0, uh, to 0, whatever the score was good, against the New England Patriots. So hopefully they are coming in fat and happy. But if mm. the Texans do what they're supposed to do, then it'll be a game, you, you know. Mm-hmm. On the roster, when you look at the players, I feel like the Texans can not compete with the Saints, and they don't have to just hope that the Saints are coming in with the raw mentality, but that does help in the NFL.
0: That's our dude, Indy Kalu. Love having Indy on the show. We get back, we'll go around the NFL and hit every game. It'll be probably the three fastest minutes of your life as I buzz through every single NFL game on Sunday. That's next on Texans All Access. We go on the final segment left of this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Appreciate you being here with me. I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And it's time for probably three or four of the fastest minutes you're going to hear on radio. Well, I mean, that sounds kind of oxymoronic in some sense because four minutes is four minutes. But what we'll cover in the next four minutes, we're going to fly because we got to go through every single game that happened throughout the NFL starting on Sunday in London but I need my music. There we go. This gets me hyped so this will get me through this. It okay, started in London very early in the morning and the Bills struggled. Man, The Bills lost Matt Milano for the season but the Jaguars put it on them. The Jaguars win that game. They moved to 3-2. and two. Jaguars 25-20 over the Bills and it probably wasn't even that close. I know the Bills got up within 5 with about 2 minutes left in the 4th quarter but the Jaguars really dominated this. Trevor Lawrence was awesome. 25-37 for 315 and a tutty Travis Etienne, 26 carries for 136 yards and two touchdowns. And what kills the Bills? Rushing. They ran. Their leading rusher was Josh Allen for 14 yards. You can't sustain that and when They didn't. Both teams are 3-2. and two. The Colts held on against the Titans. Why? A fourth down and one stop inside the five on Derrick Henry. That gave the Colts win. Gardner Minshew had to come in. But the story of this game: Zach Moss, twenty-three carries for one hundred and sixty-five yards and two touchdowns. Colts take the lead atop the AFC South. Actually, they'll be they're tied to the Jags, but the Jags have a tiebreaker for three and two. Colts playing good football. Titans fall to two and three. The Saints beat the Patriots. Wait for it: thirty-four to nothing. Thirty-four to nothing. I did not stutter. They. Ran for a total of 45. They threw for a total of 111. That's 156 total yards to the Patriots at home. They fought a 1-4. The Saints go to 3-2, and they will come to NRG on Sunday. The Steelers, who the Texans beat last week by 24, took on one of the better teams in the league, the Baltimore Ravens. But in a rivalry, anything goes. And it did for the Steelers. Down 10-0 after a Justice Hill touchdown and a Justin Tucker field goal. Baltimore was up 10-0. Looking like they're cruising, right? Then things started happening. Boz hit a field goal, make it 10-3. Then in the fourth quarter, Miles Killebrew blocked the punt. Safety, 10-5. Boz hit another field goal. It's 10-8. George Pickens then caught a deep touchdown from Kenny Pickens. That made it 14-10, and Boz hit another field goal with 49 seconds left to give them a touchdown lead. And the Ravens receivers couldn't catch a cold. Steelers go to 3-2. and two. Ravens go to 3-2. And, two. and look, don't look now, but the Texans beat the AFC North leader by 24 points. How about that? Uh, crazy stuff. Lions were all over the Panthers. I mean all over them. Jared Goff, 236 yards passing, three touchdowns. David Montgomery, 109 yards and a tutty. And Josh Reynolds, gig him. 76 yards receiving and a touchdown. Bryce Young threw three touchdowns. But he also threw two interceptions, including one to potentially, potentially the new defensive player of the year, that being Aiden Hutchinson. The Lions are four and one. Panthers zero oh five. Wow! Dolphins hammered the Giants, hammered them. Giants not a good football team. One and four. Daniel Jones could have a neck issue. Dolphins roll big, really big. Tua three hundred eight yards through the air, two touchdowns. Devin Achan... 151 yards rushing, but he might have a knee injury. Tyreek, 181 yards. That offense is really fun to watch. We'll see what that means for A-Chan coming up with that knee injury. The Bengals got a big win over the Cardinals yesterday, 34-20. Joe Burrow found Jamar Chase, and then Jamar Chase posted a photo of 7-11. He's always open all the time. Eagles beat the Rams, even though Puka Nakua scored um, for the Rams. But the Eagles get it done. Big crowd out in L.A., for the Eagles, Eagles are 5-0. Rams fall to 2-3. The Jets get a measure of revenge for their guy, Nathaniel Hackett. 31-21. Sean Payton lost on Russell Wilson on the sideline. And the Broncos are 1-4. and The Jets are 2-3. and Jets needed that win. Good for them. Chiefs beat the Vikings 27-20. There's some controversy in this game. But Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey get it done with a touchdown. Uh, in the fourth quarter of the game, a 27-13 lead. They were going to win that thing. 27-20. Vikings fall to 1-4. Justin Jefferson might be hurt, and he is definitely not happy. And in the night cap, Brock Purdy went off for the Niners. 252 yards, four tutties. Three of those went to George Kittle. All three of Kittle's receptions went for touchdowns. What a night. 42-10. Cowboys fall to three and two. 49ers undefeated at 5-0. And that is
1: your Money Edition of Texans All Access. Appreciate you being here. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.